Welcome, my curious souls, and thank you for joining us today. You are listening to What's That Hate, a podcast that takes the myths and legends of the paranormal, dissects it down, and provides you the real evidence and research associated with ideas of the paranormal to allow you not only to be able to identify these entities, but to better care for your own cosmic energy. I am Mountain Mama, and this podcast is ran by Mountain Mama Investigations, a Appalachian high strangeness and paranormal research team dedicated to the preservation of historical locations with a focus in Appalachia and aiding those in paranormal crisis. We are a nonprofit organization, meaning any support you provide through listening to this podcast or following us on social media allows us to fundraise for materials and services needed in private paranormal crisis cases. In addition, it allows us to go out to these historical locations as we work to bring interest to them as we want them to thrive for future generations to enjoy. Our other main goal is to do our part to help break the barriers and stigma around the paranormal and experiencing it. A bit about myself. I'm a spiritual practitioner and medium working in the areas of Reiki, chakras, tarot, and parapsychology. My certifications are in each of those areas and I use these in individual healing sessions and in paranormal investigations. I work in what is called the old ways and am constantly looking to find a better way to life and working to become the best version of me. I also dabble in Akashic Records and all things that may be considered woo-woo. Always feel free to reach out if you have a question because all are welcome here. With this being said, I am not a medical practitioner. If you are undergoing any type of physical or emotional stress that needs medical attention, then we support you in doing so. We would never tell you not to. Some of you may be wondering what a hain is. <laughs> hain is a term that has been used in various parts of the world, but for myself, it was used largely in my hometown and area of Eastern Kentucky. Hain is a common word used in Appalachia to describe a spirit or ghost or anything related to the paranormal or supernatural, really. This is why it was normal in Appalachia to paint their porches haint blue, as many folks worked on ways to rid their homes of these entities. Today's episode is about a haint or type of energy called, well, I'm not really sure. Overall, it would be considered a thought form, but it includes characteristics of the poltergeist, servitor, and tulpa. That is a paranormal combo if I ever saw one. This episode is going to be a bit different. You see, I have provided you examples of thought forms in a literary and research sense, But the reason I even talk about thought forms is because we have experienced them through paranormal investigation. The remainder of this season will be sharing those experiences with you. Now, if you follow us on any other form of social media, you may have come across some of these, but the case I'm going to share today, we have never shared before. I am thankful to my client who graciously gave us permission to grace you with this information 
so others can know their experience as they also want to remove that stigma around speaking about paranormal experiences. Names and locations will be left out for privacy, but all other mentions are directly from case experience. So, now is your time to sit back, relax, and expand that mind. A friend put me in contact with this client when they were reaching out for a paranormal team. Our group came up in conversation as we deal with deeper concepts of spirituality, paranormal research, and well, out there concepts. When I first spoke with my client about what was happening in the home, there were a few things I picked up on. The first was that they were tired. I don't mean you lost a few nights of sleep, but they were losing out on a few months of sleep and still somehow caring for their family and going through the task of everyday routines. The strength of this person was astounding to me. Seeing the balancing act between haunted home and taking care of children, I don't know how she did it. The second detail that I picked up on was that they were scared. It was at a point that being alone in the home during nighttime was only one challenge, as being home alone during the day was also causing immense dread. So, what were they experiencing? Well, you name it, and they most likely had an encounter with it. Reports of voices, random music, apparitions, objects moving, sleep paralysis, and much more. When I was given these reports, our team kept asking ourselves how they were even functioning at this point because this was no way to live, or to have to live. With two adults in the home and three children, all had pretty well experienced some type of paranormal activity except for maybe one child. The family had lived in the home for about a year, and the home is old. Honestly, when I received the record on it from the courthouse, I knew the date wasn't going back far enough. I'm not sure if it was just listed under the date that ownership changed in the 60s, but the architecture gave away its age. The family had been told by multiple people that this home had been a funeral home. We used that as our reference point to begin digging. I scoured newspaper articles, historical societies, I talked to historians, and anything you could imagine. Although I did not come across any documents showing the home had been a funeral home, there was enough evidence to suspect which one it could have been or been near. I was concerned when I learned it would have been not only a funeral home, but also a Masonic Lodge. Now, some of you paranormal enthusiasts may know why this would be a concern. But for those of you who do not, as I did not until doing this kind of work, many Masonic Lodges are not just some old guys spending time together. The Masonic Lodge has many orders directly and subdirectly branched from it, and they practice alchemy and other spiritualist-type rituals. I'm not saying to be scared of this kind of research, and honestly, there is a lot to be learned from their research, but this means that their lodges usually would have a magical property, and the most noted being that of being built specifically 
to trap spirits and entities inside. Do you see where I'm going with this? Take one magic lodge, add a funeral home, and you have one of those bug traps where you can go in, but you ain't coming back out. Imagine my fear when I thought this home could have been this lodge and funeral home or even just near it. In addition to this, a building nearby had recently been demolished. The area it is located at used to be a boys' academy, then a public school, then a veteran's lodge. There was a fire involved, and it passed into the hands of Parks and Recreation at some point. Due to the mold issue, it needed to be demolished, so that is exactly what they did. And this was from the Parks and Recreation Society letting us know this. This was a key component in my mind with some of the apparitions being seen in the home. Now, learning more about this location seemed to keep the possibilities piling up while trying to get to the bottom of this case and aiding this family. A trustworthy source reported to me that a homeowner in that same area had reported experiences with black-eyed children. These are a type of entity that no one can really specify on what exactly they are. They are known to approach you sometimes at your car door or home door. Their eyes are black, thus the name, and they usually try to give some type of excuse for you to invite them in. It reminds me a lot of vampire lore and that they have to be invited in for most cases, but the person who reported these woke up with them standing around her and her partner's bed. The months following, there were many tragic outcomes. The options on what this could be seemed endless, but there was one idea I couldn't shake that kept coming to mind as soon as we took on this case, and that was me asking if it could be the family that is haunted more so than the house. Spirits are pretty well everywhere, and I am sure there were some not-so-friendly ones in the home but I had this sinking suspicion that there could be some kind of untapped or unacknowledged psychic abilities. Intuition, I feel, can be debated when you have an anxiety condition, but this was a situation where I could have trusted myself. Now, let me take you deeper into some of the experiences within this home. The mother was in the living room and just enjoying her evening. All of the children are asleep when she looks out from the living room into the entryway. That is when she sees a child standing there. At first she thought it was one of her own, but then realized the hair was not the same as any of her children. The blonde hair was hanging down over the face, so you would not be able to see any features. The youngest child begins screaming for his mother on another day. The mother goes to the child to console him. When she does, she realizes that he is scared, but she cannot see what he is scared of. He is around the age of three, so he describes the situation with words like baby hurt, ghost, and so forth. Next, the mother's partner is attempting to sleep as they all try to do every night when he sees an apparition of a shadow. He states that he didn't feel fear, but that the shadow was tall. There were no facial features except that of a smile and a hat. This may sound familiar to some as the entity referred to as the hat man. The hat man can have various names, but many around the world have talked about their experiences with this type of entity. With extensive interview of the family members, 
I find that the mother and her partner have had paranormal experiences separately before living with one another or moving into this home, so they are open to having a paranormal team help. We do a baseline investigation with some reflection of possible anomalies in the windows, but not much in the way of EVP. I was perplexed because I completely believed and knew they were experiencing something. It was when the mother felt something touch her that we knew we needed to take some action. A lot of research had been done at this point, but when we are getting into territory of something physically touching, we thought it best to go into the home and begin to intensely cleanse. I would say that this was a deep cleanse, on the verge of exorcism, but more in the middle. I created an herbal blend specific to what the family was experiencing, some angelica root for banishing, lavender to calm, chamomile for comfort, and so forth. Mind you, I have a great sidekick through all of this. My partner in our paranormal group just so happens to be my life partner, so through our combined determination, we set off to work. We began upstairs and worked our way down, spending extra times in rooms where more of a presence was experienced. This was felt through physical reaction of energy through goosebumps and also felt psychically. We concluded with the property and then cleansing all members of the family. We completed the ritual and all seemed to feel calm for the night. It was the next day that the mother realized the youngest child just wasn't acting like their self. He was pale and just interested in not playing or going through his daily routine. Less paranormal activity was being experienced, but something wasn't right. When the mother reported activity one night again after, I knew it was time to call in some spiritual assistance. I called my personal shaman, who I'm so thankful to have in my life, and who assists with the many modes of spirituality and can do remote viewing, and that's exactly what she did. I was standing outside the home by my car when she says, it's not the house, it's the children. Psychic children not knowing their abilities can make for an interesting case. And who can blame them? Many of us psychics and healers didn't completely understand what was happening to us at that age. While on the phone with my shaman, as she explains more, I say one single word that popped into my mind, tulpa. She says, I got chill bumps all over my arms. That is when all the puzzle pieces started coming together on this case. You see, there is one important factor that I left until now to tell you about this case. Two out of the three children have autism. Autism is beautiful. One thing seen often in cases of autism is the ability to love instantly and fully. Some of us take a lifetime to be able to release judgment love ourselves and others, and be in the present moment. And in some cases of autism, these abilities are gracefully second nature. It makes it so hard to use the word disability when it feels more like a superpower. An interesting link that exists between autism is that it could possibly be the same as psychic abilities. Seeing things that you cannot verbalize at times or describe, or being hypersensitive to the environment and picking up on the shifting of energies, could there be a connection between autism and paranormal occurrences? Absolutely. 
along with other diagnoses such as obsessive compulsive disorder and any diagnosis that can cause an individual to be highly sensitive to their environment. If you are familiar with the term empath, this may sound familiar. An empath is able to pick up on the energies in the environment, emotions of others, and any dramatic shifts of individuals or areas around them. Now imagine this, a child with autism who is only partially verbal. If this child with autism has an intense emotion that they cannot convey to you through words, what happens? In this case, it resulted in objects moving, apparitions appearing, possibly related to shows or videos they had seen, poking their parent while they tried to sleep, and footsteps throughout the home. You see, the two children with autism in the home not only had a situation of poltergeist activity, which is what we see when emotions can become so big that they create manifestations outside the body, such as kinetic psychic abilities, meaning the ability to move objects with the mind, but also a moving outside of the body, which could be a form of astral projection. In addition, the hat man ghostly figures could be created by the autistic child in unintentional tulpa form, or going with that tulpa idea, an imaginary friend brought to life. They focus in on a figure they see or they create with their imagination, and then you see that form walking through the home. Now, say the child creates a form to run to do things for them. Maybe they want something such as a prize toy protected, a message sent to a parent that they can't express. Maybe they create a servitor to do that job. Not only do all these thought forms come into play, but they are sensitive to the spirit world seeing through the veil with ease, a beacon to wandering spirits because they can be seen and heard by this child. For us in this investigation, it became less of a what if and more of a it is situation. The youngest child tended to keep to himself. He enjoyed playing alone and talking to his friends that are not of this world that he keeps with him. And there are times that he experienced emotional dysregulation. This is a common experience of those with ADHD and can cause one to feel emotions very intensely. As you get older, there are techniques that can be taught to assist with this, but as a child, it would be very hard at times. So when he feels that emotion intensely or had a harder day, the family could typically guarantee having more activity that night. What do you do in a situation like this? That's exactly what the mother of the home asked. Because no matter what home they move to, the paranormal activity will be there due to it being psychic energy. For a child who is non-verbal, drawing is a great way for them to express how they are feeling so those emotions are not being bottled inside to bust out in psychic abilities. Then as a parent, you have a choice. Tell the child that they have these abilities or keep it from them. I was so proud that this mother wanted the case file we created so she could share this information with him and her other children as they grew older because one day he could be sitting in someone else's home having the same conversation with another parent of a psychic child. Being raised to know this, he won't have to feel ashamed of his abilities or less than or not normal because there's no such thing. It is my true belief that this entire family has psychic abilities, and I was so grateful to see them embrace this. 
By cleansing the home, we basically cleansed away his friends. It took him a few days to rebuild those friends, and although I'm glad the cleansing cleared away any negative energy or entities remaining in the home, this taught us to use specific herbal blends in psychic cases as to remove the negative, but leave the psychic-created entities remaining, and to know what to look for. So, why talk about thought forms? Because by naming every entity or haint we encounter as a ghost, we limit ourselves. When we limit ourselves in the paranormal world, we don't always know what specific entity we are dealing with, and by not knowing this, we don't know the specific way to care for it, ourselves, or others. Which leads us to the word ghost, being a very broad term, when there are so much more than ghosts out there. But for now, my friend, we must digest what we have learned here and leave those haints to another day.